Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, we begin now with our scripture reading, which comes from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we read this ancient scripture, we come to this very moment, it's difficult for us to relax or to listen or to reflect because our minds race so rapidly. Our lives are so hurried and so full of anxiety or fear or maybe just a complacency where we are kind of living in the land of the eternal happy hour and we've lulled ourselves to sleep, maybe convincing ourselves we don't need you after all, we come in this moment a mixture of joy and depression, of anger and hope. We enter this moment a beautiful mess. Help us to see, as different as we are from one another, that actually we have far more in common than we realize. That you see us in all of our complexity and contradictions and all the ways that we get it and all the ways we don't get it. You see us and you know us. And your response is to give yourself to us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now, we pray that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd open our minds to your truth, our hearts to your love, our lives to your grace, and that you would bless us and send us out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, in the midst of this pandemic, as we uh, continue, I mean, gosh, I'm getting pandemic fatigue. I think I got pandemic fatigue on day two. Um, 
you know, if you can go back to yourself one year ago and say, there's just going to be all sorts of things you're going to think about all the time that you cannot now imagine, right? Did you leave home without your mask, right? One year ago, you'd say, it is not Halloween. What are you talking about leaving my home without my mask? Or make sure you socially distance. What, is that just a way of, uh, you know, being antisocial and not letting other people into your life? But now these are kind of part of the new normal that's baked in. And so it takes a lot to surprise me for the new normal of the global pandemic, which uh, the New York Times accomplished yesterday when I read this article entitled, This Flight Goes Nowhere, and it's sold out. Have you heard about this? It says, in August, uh, Nadrizi Harif, a DJ at a local radio station in Brunei, set foot in an airport for the first time in six months. The experience, he said, was exhilarating. Sure, moving through the Brunei International Airport was different, with masks, glass dividers, and social distancing protocols in place, but nothing could beat the anticipation of getting on a plane again. His destination? Nowhere. Mr. Harif is one of thousands of people in Brunei, Taiwan, Japan, and Australia who have started booking flights that start and end in the same place. Some airlines call these scenic flights, others are more direct, calling them flights to nowhere. He said, I didn't realize how much I'd missed traveling, missed flying until the moment the captain's voice came on the speaker and the welcome and safety announcement came on, he said, of his 85-minute experience on the airline. On its flight to nowhere, the airline calls the Dine and Fly program, Royal Brunei serves local cuisine to passengers while flying over the country. Other airlines are taking note. On Thursday, Qantas announced a flight to nowhere over Australia. That flight sold out in 10 minutes. And who would have thought a flight to nowhere would become a thing? And I think that's an interesting parable for how life might feel right now for so many of us. Uh, maybe life feels like a flight to nowhere. Maybe you feel like you're using like, more energy than ever before to get off the runway. There's more kind of frantic anxiety as you, move, as you try to move forward. There's more uncertainty, and yet you're just not moving. Or at least you wonder if you're moving forward. Well, if that's the case, welcome to Jonah's world, because that's the scripture we just heard. Uh, we, we got this glimpse into the end of that passage. Jonah is a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's only four chapters long, so if you want to begin your scripture kind of foray and your journey and, and be able to say today you read an entire book in the Bible, go to Jonah. It takes you about nine minutes, uh, but Jonah's entire journey is messy. It's two steps forward, it's one step backward. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps backward. And yet in the midst of the entire journey, when you look at it, you see that God has been at work in the midst of it all the time. And so in the time we have, let's examine Jonah's failure, God's grace, and what it all means for us. Okay, Jonah's failure, God's grace, and what it all means for us. First, in Jonah's failure, he shows us there are multiple ways to get it wrong, okay? You can get it wrong by, by disobeying God and running. You can get it wrong by obeying God with a resentful heart, okay? First, um, Jonah's story, as I said, this is the very end of that entire book and kind of the conclusion, but it begins with God coming to him and saying, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against their wickedness. Cry out about the way that they're enslaving people. Cry out about the way that they're abusing people. Cry out about the way they're oppressing people. Go to that great city and cry out. And Jonah says, nope. 
No thanks. It says he went to Tarshish instead, which it was mentioned. Uh, scholars are not exactly sure where Tarshish is. Some of them think it was in Spain. Maybe it was North Africa. The point is, Tarshish was the place that was as far away as anyone knew how to get to. So Jonah didn't just say later or I don't think so. He said no, and then he went as far away as he could. Now, not only was it geographically far away, there was kind of this mystery and intrigue about Tarshish. Like, Nineveh was this great, big, skyscraper, dirty city that had been, you know, had just layers and layers of oppression baked into it. But Tarshish, I mean, that's kind of like, you're heading to the tropics. You're going to Shangri-La. You're going to the beaches and to the bands and to the, you know, the, the, the fun summer clothing. And he's like, I just want a vacation. I don't want to go and do that. I'm going over here. And so he, he sets his face toward this other place, and it says a great storm arises. You don't have to be familiar with the Bible to know the story of Jonah. This has worked its way into all sorts of stories, ranging from Moby Dick to Pinocchio. Uh, And, you know, even if you've not read the Bible before, you still know enough to know that Jonah ends up in the midst of a terrible storm on a boat. And he's on this boat, and he's in the storm, and the very superstitious pagan boatmates that he had said, let's cast lots to figure out whose problem this is, who's causing all this. And it comes to Jonah, and they go, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Like, what, how could this be your, your fault? And Jonah goes, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of the sea and the land, and I've decided to run from him. And these guys go, well, at least you're honest, right? Thank you so much for coming clean with us, but what are we going to do about Jonah? And they, they come up with this great plan to throw him overboard, right? To get rid of the dead weight, pun intended. And he goes overboard, and the storm is quieted. Now, this is all still chapter one. It's action-packed. The storm is quieted, and you think Jonah's going to die at sea because back then, especially, the sea was the place of chaos. The sea was the uncontrollable place. The sea was the place where even the big ships can go and never return, and Jonah ends up in the sea. You think he's dead for sure, but no. Here comes, it says, this great fish that swallowed him whole and had him in the belly of the fish, which for us, on one hand, someone goes, look, all right, so now we're kind of in fairy tale land. This is when the pastor gets up and tells these Bronze Age stories about fish that can eat people and they live inside. Let me just make the point. First of all, I hear you. Um, so there are some Christians who look at this as a historic story that happened literally. And there are, there's actually, I, in research I found, there are stories of, for example, a sperm whale eating a sailor, and then the whalers caught the whale, and when they opened it up, that sailor was in the belly of the whale, still alive, and he went on to live the rest of his days, albeit a little bit marked up. So you can find some kind of scientific data, anecdotal evidence, this stuff can happen. There are other Christians that say, this is the point is not that this is a historic telling of what happened to Jonah. It's intended to teach us about God and about who we are and what life is like. Here's my point for the purposes of this sermon. Either way, the point is the same. Jonah runs and God pursues him. Jonah runs and God pursues him. Jonah makes a series of decisions that put him and everyone around him in danger. And God rescues all of them. 
God doesn't say, look at the decisions you made. How far back do we need to scroll the tape to show you where you started going wrong? Was it when you said no? Was it when you went to Tarshish? Was it when you got on the boat? Was it when you got in the water? It doesn't matter. I pursue you with my grace and I overwhelm you with my rescue. Let me ask you, does that surprise you? Is your, is your vision of God, when you're getting it wrong, not even when you've got it wrong accidentally, but when you meant to get it wrong because you had better ideas. Maybe it was a moment of malice or intent. Maybe it was a moment of weakness. But when you get it wrong, is your picture of God one who will come and rescue you? One who relentlessly pursues you? Even when you don't get it right. See, Jonah, it's this comedic story of him showing us how to get it wrong in his disobedience, and God still surrounds him, always getting in front of him with God's grace. But then the story gets even more comedic when Jonah finally obeys, because the story is not over there. In chapter 3, God comes to him again and says, go to Nineveh. Warn them. Tell them you're going to be overthrown. Calamity is coming your way. Maybe it was going to be a disease or a pestilence or a famine. Maybe they're going to be overtaken by another country. Go and warn that great city full of wickedness that I am about to bring calamity upon them. And Jonah does. Except the great surprise is, the twist, the punchline is, instead of the people of this great wicked megalopolis saying, forget you, who cares, who do you think you are? They all humble themselves and repent and tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. These are all ancient ways of physically acting out what it means to be sorry. It says they all fasted and they refrained from food and from drink. Even their animals refrained from food and drink. They were, they were massively saying, God, we were wrong and you were right and we're sorry. And Jonah cannot stand it. Jonah is so furious, he wants to destroy these people that he doesn't like. And so he turns to God and goes, I am mad enough, I'm mad enough to die right now. Jonah, why are you so mad? Because I knew you were like this. The quote, chapter 4, verse 2, we read, I knew you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. God, you are... My problem with you is not that you're too judgmental. My problem with you is you're too kind, and I can't stand it. What do you think about that? I mean, I think if you ask uh, anybody up and down 30th Street right here, go to a local brunch place and say, you know, what, what's your take on Christians and the God that they worship? It, it will not take long until you hear, oh, Christianity is that religion where people are super judgmental, super condemning, finding out what you've done wrong in order to make you feel worse about it. You know, um, one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is when someone asks me what I do for a living at a cocktail party, I'm always a little bit wary because I know that after I answer, it's either like, it's going to be a polarizing response, right? What do you do for, if, if you're an accountant, what do you do for a living? I'm an accountant. Oh, cool. You know, I, I value what you do. What do you do for a living? I'm a teacher. That's great. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Everything stops right there, and you can usually see the person start thinking back through what they had said in that conversation before to see if they'd said anything they need to be embarrassed of or ashamed of or apologized for, or they go, you know, oh, that's really interesting. I've got to go do that thing now. Um, you take care. I'll see you never. Um, 
one time, not too long ago, I was asked what I do, and I said I'm a pastor, and the guy goes, oh. And just very candidly, he goes, you must spend so much of your time feeling really guilty and ashamed of yourself. Like, and I looked at him, and I go, candidly, I find that God is far more forgiving towards me than I am toward myself. And this is a picture of the God that we have in Jonah and throughout Scripture. So some people can't stand the idea of God or Christianity or Jesus because they think he's too condemning. Others, like Jonah, can't stand it because he's not condemning enough. I have a friend from Sierra Leone who lived through the Civil War in the 90s. And he said, I don't want to believe in a God who can look at genocide and child soldiers and all sorts of terror and torture and not judge those people, right? And, and when we say that, we're in good company with Jonah. So what gets Jonah so angry? That God is too forgiving. What if that's how God looks at you? What if God is far more forgiving toward you than you are toward yourself? See, we see Jonah's failure in disobedience or in obedience, but we also see God's grace. See, there's this list of God's grace to Jonah. As God first pursues him on a boat, he will not let him go. Jonah is, is decidedly putting his face away from the God who created him, who knows him, who calls him. He's actively walking away, and God continually goes and gets in front of him. There is no point in this passage where God says, you know what? You made your bed, now you lie in it. You made your choices, now you just face them. God is continually getting in front of him with his grace. I ministered to someone one time who described to me a part in their life where they actively decided to run away from God, to give up on the Christian faith, to decide that they wanted nothing to do with Jesus or anybody who had anything to do with Jesus. And he actually geographically went far away and he said, when I landed and got to the other place, God was already there waiting for me. A God of grace who will never stop pursuing you. I remember a time when uh, I was a senior in high school, and I kind of, in my life, I, I had enough of Jesus in my life to not really enjoy the party scene anymore, but enough of the party scene, the San Diego party scene in my life to not really enjoy Jesus all that much. And I was kind of, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there, and I ended up down at Sunset Cliffs uh, late Saturday night. When I say late Saturday night, I mean the sun was coming up. And uh, we're sitting there, and the sun's coming up, and this mi minivan arrives, and it's this really group, it's this group of really rough looking people who are coming out of this minivan. Now, I've always been a lover, not a fighter. And I had a cooler full of refreshments, we'll call them. And I said, hey, you know, there's plenty here. Why don't you guys just join us? We'll all hang out. So we sat there and watched the sunrise. And then one just of these people just began preaching the gospel of God's grace to me sitting on those sunset cliffs there. I was not looking for God, but God was looking for me. Um, Maybe now, however you're listening to this, whether you're here or whether you're online or you're watching a recording of this, maybe the reason you're hearing this right now is just so God can tell you, I've not left you, I've not forgotten you, I'm continually getting in front of you. And God sends, sends the fish, we talked about that, to rescue him. And then he reinstates Jonah. Don't miss that God reinstates Jonah. So he doesn't, he tells him to go, Jonah says no, God rescues him, and he doesn't just kind of brush off his shoulders and say, now that's enough, you should be lucky that you're alive. You're lucky I'm even talking to you. No, because chapter 3 opens up, 
And God comes to Jonah again and says, why don't you continue on and go? He reinstates him a second time. Look at how patient God is with Jonah's process. See, for so many of us, you either have an internal critic or an external critic, someone actually saying to you, you've messed up one too many times. You have worn out God's patience. You have worn out God's grace. Hear him come to you again and again and say, I'm not tired of forgiving you. And whenever you're ready, why don't you come and walk with me on this path? Because I call you into a good place. And God gives him the grace of the plant, right, with the shade that comes over him. But God even gives him a surprise grace of the worm that eats the plant. (laughs) Yep, even the worm that ate the plant was part of God's grace. And here's why. Because God in that moment used discomfort to teach Jonah an important lesson about God's grace. See, God will use all the resources available to him. God will use every aspect of your life and mine for your good and for mine and for the good of this world. You know what that means? That means there are no dead ends in a relationship with God. Jonah ends up on a boat in a storm. He goes, I'm dead. No, you're not. You're in the sea. Jonah ends up in the sea. He goes, I'm dead. No, you're not. You're in a fish's belly. Jonah ends up in the fish. He says, I'm dead. No, you're not. I'll rescue you. Jonah gets back to dry land and says, well, at least I'm cut off. And God says, no, you're not. Walk with me. There are no dead ends in life with God. And look at God's grace to Nineveh. First, God confronts Nineveh. And that's an act of love. It would not be loving to see either a nation or a person who is going off the rails, hurting themselves and hurting others, seeing it happen and choosing to remain silent is not love. It was God's love that went to Nineveh in the first place and said, you are causing destruction upon others and upon yourself and I will not have it because I care about you. It will kill you. You are on a collision course. Turn back. As one of my seminary professors said, you know, if you choose to go against the grain of reality, you should expect to get a splinter or two. And God's saying, you are going against the grain of the way that I've created this world. It reminds me of a story which um, I, I know, so those of you watching online or listening, I know this is an urban legend, but it's a good urban legend. It's, uh, it's the story of, the, the, the way that the story is set up is, here's an actual transcript of a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. This radio conversation was released by the Chief of Naval, naval Operations on 10-10-95. Americans say, Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians say, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no. I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse. Your call. God comes and says, 
I am the creator and sustainer of all reality. I am the essence of the true lighthouse that not only illuminates your life in this world and, ke and keeps you from collision, but you can trust my direction. And that's part of the grace that God gives to Nineveh. And then there's this great part where Jonah's so mad about, Jonah, Jonah hates the people, get this, Jonah hates the people and loves the plant, right? This little plant that grew up over his head to give him some shade. He is so mad when that plant dies. And God says, why, do you, why are you so upset about the plant? Should I not care about that great city with its 120,000 inhabitants, plus all the animals, and these people don't know their right hand from their left? Shouldn't I have compassion upon them? And the word compassion that's used three times in our passage, it's the word for mourning or grieving. It's a guttural kind of word when your heart goes out to somebody and God says, those people over there that you can't stand, I've joined my heart to them. Those people over there that are so confused they don't know their left hand from their right, you, would, you, know, you, you care more about a plant than you care about them. I have joined my happiness and my joy with theirs. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but as human beings created to be in community, we join our happiness to those we love, and we should, because you were created to know and to be known and to have empathy and to share in the ups and downs of life. Now, think about God who already has everything, who needs nothing. Why does God share in the joy or sorrow of all these people? Because he chooses to. Because it's in God's nature to reach out, to care, to join himself to them because God loves them. We see this echoed later on as Jesus is walking toward the cross and he pauses and he mourns over Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have desired to wrap my, my wings around you like a mother hen. How often I have desired, he mourns over the city because he loves the people of the city. See, God sees the wickedness of Nineveh. He sees their confusion. He sees their brokenness. And God's response is not wrath, but compassion. Which is, a, which is a really funny juxtaposition with Jonah, right? Jonah runs from these Ninevites. He's in the fish for three days, and he comes back to Nineveh, and there's no compassion. In fact, instead, he goes outside the city to root for their destruction, See, Jonah's not a hero in this story. Jonah is a picture of you and me. Eugene Peterson, theologian, pastor who passed away not too long ago, wrote, We never do see a successful Jonah. He never gets it right. I find this rather comforting. Jonah is not a model to look up to, a model that shows up my inadequacy. This is training in humility, which turns out not to be a groveling, but quite a cheerful humility. See, Jonah is a picture of you and me. And he points to another. Maybe we'll say he points to the true Jonah. Because Jonah's calling originally was to go and participate in the salvation of Nineveh. That was his calling. Go and tell them they're about to hit the shore and to turn away so they can be rescued. And he says no. But later, Jesus comes and where Jonah failed, Jesus is faithful. Where Jonah was disobedient and turned aside, Jesus walks straight toward the brokenness of our lives and this world. Where Jonah goes outside the city to root for its destruction, Jesus will be taken outside the city to be crucified for its salvation. 
where Jonah disappears for three days and is rescued in the fish, Jesus will disappear for three days, not in a fish, but in the death of the tomb. And three days later, will rise again in newness of resurrection. Jesus is the one in whom we see true grace in action. So what does it look like to join ourselves to him? Let me just give you a few suggestions. The first one is, as we apply this, as we wrap up, first question this asks you, a little diagnostic question. How do you view the people you can't stand? Maybe you can't stand their political views. Uh, Maybe you can't stand... um, the way they act. Maybe they make choices that you would, uh, that you disdain. Maybe they just look different than you or speak a different language than you or have a different story than you. But how do you view the other? And what does it look like to be a person of peace that actually goes to others humbly? How do you pursue obedience and trust in God in your life, especially when it's a calling that you would not choose for yourself. Uh, can I just level with you right now? I went out, um, a, f- a friend invited me to play golf last week. Um, Rick, if you're watching, hello. Thank you for that amazing round of golf. And we're out there, it's a beautiful day, and he goes, are you just loving what you're doing right now? And Rick has this contagious like, positivity. And I go, nope, I don't love what I'm doing right now. It's COVID. It's this pandemic. It's, I'd much rather be meeting with you as often as we want to. I would much rather not be socially distant. I'd rather be doing Know Your Neighbor Saturday with live music and a big band like we did before COVID. It's not the calling that I would have chosen as a pastor, uh, but it's the calling that I have. And so I have a choice every day and often many times per day, how am I going to walk in the calling that I have? Maybe you wouldn't choose to be doing work out of your home right now. Uh, Maybe you wouldn't choose to have your children in the sort of educational system that they currently have. Uh, Maybe it wouldn't be your choosing, choosing, uh, but it's where you are. So the question is, how do you trust and obey even when it's not exactly what you would have chosen? And let me give you part of the key that Jonah gives us, is that you could trust God to be good even when it's not the path you would have chosen. See, the interesting thing is Jonah's life seems like a flight to nowhere. Jonah's life, it zigs when it should zag. It goes down when it should go up. Jesus says, go this way. He goes the opposite way. It seems like he's never getting anywhere. And yet God is doing a work, not only in Nineveh for its renewal, but God's doing something deep down in Jonah as well. And so it is possible. In fact, I would say it is likely that it is in the very areas you wouldn't choose that God may be doing his very best work in you that you right now are unaware of. But step by step and day by day, God is at work. There's so much more I want to say about this. Um, This is one of the great passages that gives us part of our mandate as a church. Renew church exists to follow Christ, to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. That's not simply us being creative. That's us responding to a God who loves cities. As one, as one theologian and sociologist said, you know, if, if human beings are created in the image and likeness of God, then cities with all their density and diversity have more image of God per square mile than anywhere else on earth. Now it's complicated and it's messy, 
but there's a beauty there as well. So what does it look like to love your city? San Diegans, let's talk right here. What's it, it's, many people say we love San Diego. Who's going to say they don't love San Diego? Come on. The reality is San Diego is an easy city to lust after. It's a really hard city to love. And here's what I mean by that. Lust always takes, but love actually gives sacrificially. San Diego is a great city to just take. Take from the beauty, take from the beaches, take from the social scene, take from the restaurants, take from the tourism industry, take, 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 take. But if you really love this city, you will see it as your calling and your responsibility, not only to find the beautiful points of our city, but to find the pain points of our city and to move toward them, to give, not just to receive. And I want you to note that uh, in, the, in this part that wasn't printed for us, when Jonah is confronted on that ship, he was confronted in a community of people. So much of our growth doesn't happen alone. Um, the, great, uh, the great poet Wendell Berry wrote, Healing is impossible in loneliness. It is the opposite of loneliness. Conviviality is healing. That's a great word, kids. That's a great Conviviality, to be alive with others, is healing. To be healed, we must come with all the other creatures to the feast of creation. I think one of the devastating impacts of COVID-19, aside from the health issues and the economic issues and so many others, um, is what it does to us psychologically and socially because we end up isolating. And so just know that that's not neutral. There's a renewed call today to say, how are you investing in community? Even if the best you can do right now is virtual community, is walking around your neighborhood six feet apart and asking your neighbor their name because you've lived there 10 years and you've never gotten their name, but to continue to connect. This is why we have our community group every week on Wednesday on Zoom. Please do not go that way alone. Go in community. Join, this, join the community group. Maybe right now you'll just go on the contact page on the website and say, send me more information. I want to be a part of it. I'll try it once. Please come in as we walk together. And finally, the story of Jonah, with all of its comedic irony, <clears throat> with all the ways that Jonah first doesn't get it right because he disobeys, and then he doesn't get it right because he obeys, but he does it with resentment. God continually getting in front of him. God sending him to Nineveh, and surprise of all surprises, these egotistical, warlike, really hard-hearted people actually all said, we're sorry. And the whole place was transformed. God won over Nineveh with God's grace. God melted Jonah's heart with his forgiveness. Let him do that to you today. Whatever part of your heart is hard, is lifeless, is not letting the air and the sunlight in, maybe the first step of doing that is a prayer that says, God, I, just, I want to be in a place where I'm willing for you to break through. I'm open to whatever you do in my life today. Help me to receive your forgiveness. Help me to extend it to others. Help me to see the pain points of the community around me and move toward it. And friends, as you do, your life will be transformed. And as we do that as a church community, this neighborhood and this world will be renewed. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you'd meet us in this place. We pray that you'd convince us of your great love for us that you help us to see that grace that on one hand makes us uncomfortable, but eventually comforts the whole world. So especially in the parts of our lives, 
of our neighborhoods, of our city, of this world, where we don't see you at work. The parts of our lives where we would rather walk away or take matters into our own hands. Help us to see that you are trustworthy, that you are at work, and that you invite us to walk with you. Help us to respond now in a way that our world would be transformed, in a way that our lives would be renewed. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.